This is Leaders Who Scale, and I'm Jeff Siegel. I've worked with thousands of companies over the years, and I'm fascinated by seeing how many of them grow and scale. Join me as we learn from the leaders of growing companies and share that knowledge. Leaders Who Scale is sponsored by Siegel Solutions, providing world-class accounting, advisory, and QuickBooks and Acumatica Cloud ERP services. Today's guest is an experienced leader that loves solving problems and helping teams of every size reach their goals. He has grown his multi-million dollar company more than 50% since 2019. He's a top 200 company in his industry, and in one particular category, probably the top 25th in the country. He is the CEO of Seabreeze Property Services. They're out located in Maine. I want to welcome Josh Flynn. Welcome, Josh. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're here. Uh, I'm glad. I'd love to spend some time with you and learn about some of the challenges you're, you're, uh, you've had and things you've accomplished as you grow your company. So really the first thing I, I love to ask is what, what is the most challenging aspect of scaling your company? Sure. And I think, uh, I think looking back, it's, it's easy to recognize like the biggest challenge that we encountered was just like the preparation for it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we anticipated growing at, you know, a reasonable rate each year and kind of scaling the business. And then, you know, both through acquisition and organically, like we were able to grow the business significantly. And I think one of the difficult parts was understanding what sort of resources you were going to need, what the, you know, how it was going to change potentially like the style and culture of your business and, you know, just different things cropped up where it's like, man, this has never been like, this has never been a challenge for us before. We've never had to deal with this particular thing, but now that we're, you know, 20% larger, 30%, whatever it ends up being, mm -hmm. um, you just get, I, I feel like things come out of the woodwork that usually don't, you know, aren't a big part when you're a smaller company. Um, and, and on top of that, more like, how it changes the structure of the company, whether it be from an overhead structure or how you, you know, in our, in our industry, like how you structure your work crews and how you dispatch and, you know, systems and processes that may have functioned when you were only 45 employees large may not hold up to the rigors of a, you know, 80 or 90 person company. Um, and it's tough to sometimes test and develop those different systems and processes before, you know, you do grow like sort of in anticipation. Um, so I feel like that was probably the biggest challenge for us was sort of the unknown about what does the next step look like. And, you know, once we got there, there were some things that were, you know, glaring that you're like, oh, shoot, like, I wish I, I wish I'd known this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that was the most challenging part by far. Yeah. Were you involved? Like I went on your website, I think the company started back in, I think, 94 or so. Is that what it yep. said? Yep. Were, did you start, originally start the company? No. So I, I came on um, with Seabreeze in the fall of 2016. Okay. Um, and it was right during a transition from the owners uh, who started the company in 94 to a, um, you know, a holding company that purchased them in 2008. 2015. So I kind of came in at the lower rungs sort of as the transition from ownership to new leadership was happening. Um, but, you know, was fortunate to be involved at a high level right from the beginning on, you know, what the steps were going to be to scale the business, you know, the installing different technologies, sort of how the company was going to change. 
Um, so I've seen it, I've seen it grow progressively over the last, you know, almost six years now. So it sounds like, so you were involved, as you just mentioned, right at the, like at the, the level where you're kind of in management, I've seen people kind of start at all, you know, at the bottom rungs of a company and grow with it, but you came yep. in at kind of the, the, you're, you've been working on the business. Uh, yeah. Like, opposed to, to, in it. Did you get out there and, um, doing to, <laughs> to a degree, I think it's it's weird because like I feel like my timeline was just really like sped up. Yeah. So I came on um, as like a short snippet of like how I ended up here. I uh, I was working for another landscaping company. I wasn't getting enough hours. I was working in the field, and um, I'm originally from Maine, and I had moved back, and it was my first summer, so I was trying to get my feet underneath me. And Seabreeze was advertising for an account management position. And I was like, oh great, like I feel like I can. I can function better in that role, support more people, you know, improve the company, you know, all that good stuff. And, um, you know, when I interviewed for the role, they were like, oh, that role doesn't really exist. And I was like, okay, well, what are, what are we talking about? Um, and they said, you know, there's a transition in leadership coming next spring. This was in the fall. Like, we'd love to bring you on as just like a field supervisor, you know, get you out there with the guys, get some field experience. Um, in particular, I had never plowed before. Um, and I was coming on in October. So it was a good, a good winter for me to understand, you know, operationally what has to happen. And then that following spring, when they installed a new CEO after the, the owners of the company left, he brought me into that uh, project manager position that had, that had originally sort of been created. Um, and then it kind of took off from there. And I, th I think where I was really allowed to have the most involvement was um, we use a pretty comprehensive ERP and CRM system. And when we were considering transitioning to it from like pen and paper to entirely online, you mm -hmm. know, digital time tracking, job costing, all that kind of stuff, um, I got the opportunity to like head up that project, which is really what opened like the rest of the doors for me because it was it allowed me to have like a really good influence on how that technology was going to be used and how it was going to help us progress moving forward. And it encompasses all aspects of the business. So I got to kind of work with everybody internally to figure out like, you know, how this was going to affect us, how we were going to use it, all the training, all the implementation, the build out, everything. Um, in addition to working with, you know, customers and, and crews and all that other good stuff. What's the ERP? I'm just curious. We use it. We use Aspire software. Okay. Um, yeah. And we've been, we've been using that, you know, we started building it out in late of 2017 and then went live with that program in May of 2018 and have been using it ever since. Yeah. It's interesting. Just going on a side, we resell ERP software as well. And, a lot of companies don't realize the implementation time and effort yeah. it takes, you know, it's, yep. Oh, can we get this done in you know a couple of months? And um, it's to, if it's three, three months is probably like amazing. If you could do it in three months, most of these things take six months, a year, sometimes yep. longer, depending on the rollout of the features. So. Yep. Yeah. You know, it, it, it took us, um, you know, about five, five and a half months to get it, to get it to where we felt comfortable. The first summer was a little rocky. Um, but after that, you know, we figured out how it worked and got a lot smarter with it. But yeah, I feel like I have like an additional like part-time job in addition to everything else, like building out this program, <laughs> but it was just very clear from the beginning. And like, you know, in particular with scaling and growing, 
it just unlocked like all this information and learning that we just never knew it made everybody more efficient. Like we used to do all of our estimates on like word docs and Excel spreadsheets and everybody's using different labor rates and having to find like dig through, you know, business cards of who am I sending this to? And then, you know, working through QuickBooks and all that other kind of stuff. And this just really like condensed everything. Everybody had access to all the information in the same place. And then the data, you know, I think we've, you know, we're in like the 200 and I think around 200 or 250,000 individual work ticket visits in the last three and a half years. And the amount of data that can be gleaned from that on our like performance and job costing and, and margins and all this other kind of stuff. Um, I think that we would not have been able to scale or grow even close to what we've been able to do without that information. It just wouldn't have been possible. Yeah, I mean, just uh, not not to beat on a little bit, but we 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 do a lot with QuickBooks. So that's kind of a bread and butter. And but a lot of companies they get to a size like you guys are getting at at the time when you switched over, where they're like, oh, we just want to stay with QuickBooks. I'm like, let's why can't we keep doing it? And we keep saying it's it's going to just hamper your growth because you, you're not going to get the data. You're not you're going to have twenty different systems and spreadsheets and like you mentioned, Word docs and who spoke to who and the host CRM component, like, yep. you know, and people, a lot of companies, they, they just want to stay with what they're familiar with. So again, I think it's cool that you guys switched over and saw that and it's actually helped you scale, not didn't hold you back. You know? Oh no. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you guys do a lot of services, right? Cause you're uh, residential commercial, you do asphalt, you, you know, snow removal, yep. uh, hardscaping, you know, lawn care so tell me but you kind of about the management team because it sounds like you need you probably have people overseeing every one of those areas and services yeah i mean it's a you know landscaping and property services in general just because of the seasonality and the different types of work like you mentioned require a little bit of like jack of all trades types of folks to kind of handle whatever that particular month is going to throw at us um and we've been fortunate enough to like promote uh believe all of our operations managers are promoted from within. So they just have a really good sense of the work that needs to get done and, and how everything functions. But yeah, we, we break it out. You know, there's somebody in charge. There's one person in charge of construction, paving and sweeping. There's one person in charge of just mowing the lawns because it's a, I mean, it's a multi-million dollar revenue stream in and of itself with, you know, 20 to 25 guys each week. Um, we have one manager dedicated to, you know, on the other maintenance services, you know, you're pruning, you're weeding, you're mulching, cleanups, that sort of thing. And then an additional manager for just our, um, more of our turf care and lawn and plant care type services. Um, uh, DOT mowing is involved in that. A couple, we kind of throw like a lot of other categories at that one particular manager. And then just this past year, we installed somebody um, to only oversee snow 12 months out of the year. Wow. So it's, you know, I feel like she's helping particularly with like preparation and analysis on the previous season, because what happens here is it's like, all right, like it stops snowing, like it's, it's early March. And it's like, there's no time to think about what just happened because you're like, get out on properties, like start landscaping, you know, start paving, start building walls, start doing all the other work. So it's good to have somebody, I mean, snow makes up about 50% of our total revenue mix. So mm -hmm. it just, it, to have that level of dedication over a long period of time, I think is going to be helpful going forward. Um, 
you know, those are the operations managers under them are all our foreman or supervisors. And then, you know, going down the line, crew leaders and crew members. Um, we, uh, on our sales and accounts team, we currently have uh, two account managers and who handle our contract base. So where we derive a lot of our businesses, you know, we sell full contract landscape packages, uh, oftentimes land and snow. So we have 12 month customers and then they're going to need enhancements or maintenance work in outside of the scope of the project, um, which helps drive some of our construction team. And then we do a lot of outside construction projects, be it large commercial builds or residential projects. Um, we do not do a whole lot of residential maintenance. Um, but uh, a couple account managers, and then we have three folks on our sales and estimating side. At this point, it's mostly inbound sales um, mm -hmm. or working with general contractors on these commercial bids. Uh, and we'll actually be hiring for our current vice president of sales and accounts um, is moving at the end of the end of July. So we're hiring somebody to kind of overtake uh, his role and function as the, you know, the sales and business development manager. I feel pretty strongly we have the right people to do all of the work. They just need like support and somebody to help on the business development front. Um, and then uh, I have a president within the company who works, you know, sort of on our most difficult challenges. And that in the past couple of years have been construction and snow mm -hmm. um, makes up 60, 65% of our revenue stream, the maintenance stuff I kind of help out with, but those operations managers are, they know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean that that's kind of the makeup. Um it's it seems to work for us. It's changed a lot in the last four-ish uh years. And as we've grown, like we've seen where we've needed more help and or where we feel like, you know, we can add but don't need more managers. Um mm -hmm. and I think if you asked most of the operations managers and and account managers and stuff within the company, um, you know, they're like let's, if you're going to add more people, like, let's make sure they're the right people. We don't, we don't need more like bodies kind of muddling everything up. Like, <laughs> you know, we just, we'd prefer to have team members who like know what's going on. And, you know, that's where the promoting from within and sort of that culture has come from, but it's, it's worked for us so far. So do you meet, like we, we operate here on the EOS. Do you guys have an operating system that you follow, even something that you guys have made up? Like, and how does that work with management? Do you actually meet quarterly or weekly? And you, sure. know, you have a lot of pieces in, in a lot of services. Yep. So we don't do EOS. We, we tested it out. And I think, you know, just for our style and, and sort of the challenges that we face, it's, we're not a very like project based company with, mm -hmm. with deliverables and that can are longer term. A lot of the stuff that we do, especially at the operations manager level is day to day, week to week. And it's, you know, it's already dictated by the season. Um, but we do, we have a pretty, a pretty standard schedule of meetings. We have a senior leadership team, which meets on some of more, more things that could be managed through EOS, you know, bigger picture stuff, um, high level KPI reporting and just the, the vital statistics of the business. And then gives us an opportunity to meet as, you know, finance, HR, um, operations, myself, and then uh, sales and accounts and kind of discuss, you know, maybe some more sensitive topics, things that can't be brought to the larger group until we're ready to kind of discuss it. Um, sales and accounts has one weekly standing meeting. Um, operations has one longer standing meeting and then a shorter check-in towards the end of the week. Uh, we like to do like Monday, Thursday type cadence. 
um, Monday to kind of preview the rest of the week, Thursday to, you know, preview the, the next week, that sort of thing. Um, construction because of the logistics involved often has, has two standing meetings a week. Um, and snow right now has one a week and then we'll start peppering in a couple, you know, probably go to two around August just to make sure we're in line and everything's good. Um, fairly tight knit group. The meetings help us really discuss the things that need to be discussed and the vital stuff. Um, we try to structure it. We try to structure each meeting a certain way with specifics, a very EOS style specifics amounts of time for each person. And then this is the larger topic and then a finale and, you know, that type of thing. So, um, I just don't want it to feel like a waste of everybody's time. Nobody really likes meetings. Nobody likes meetings that could be an email. Um, and as far as tracking and performance, Aspire gives us a lot of that information. We have mm-hmm. we have uh, dials that can show up on everybody's dashboard um, that are in real time based on the production and sales and finance that's occurring within the company. Yep. We use QuickBooks to um, automate certain reports on a weekly basis, like our repairs and maintenance. It gives us a good idea where our mechanics think we are um, to the budget for the month. And then um, kind of to tie all the finance stuff together, I do a, uh, a video call once a month, um, with anyone in management who wants to participate Mm -hmm. and I'll go over in depth, um, the previous month's financial performance, and then maybe a little bit of year to date or trailing 12 type stuff. Um, just to give them an idea of where the numbers are at, you know, each one of them has their own piece to it, some larger, some smaller, but it's sort of our nod to, you know, an open and not a completely open book style of management, but as close as I think we can get to where everybody's on the same understanding. And, uh, you know, they had, they just get a good picture of where the company's at. And that's, you know, from the PL to the balance sheet to free cash flow reports, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. yeah, I think, I think it's helped with everybody understanding like what their efforts go towards and sort mm-hmm. of what the end result is. Um, I don't want to track things that don't aren't value add or don't have importance. Right, um, or you can't control anyway. Like- or you can't control, yeah. So it's just, you know, and we try to, I try to focus on like a couple key things for each department, yeah. um, not get them bogged down with 15, 16 different things. And, you know, this year we've had a particular focus on um, uh, more of a focus on gross profit than top line and, and gross profit per mm-hmm. hour. So, you know, as a company, ours is probably our largest output um, to our customers. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, per division, how many hours do we need to get on the schedule board, which we can see uh, to get to what, you know, gross profit we need for the month. And then that tells HR, like we're short three people to reach our goal, or they have to work 45 hours, not 40. So it's been getting better. It's been getting more advanced and and at the same time, like more condensed and easier to understand as we've gone through the process the last three years, three, four years. So I'm curious in in our industry, um, there's a big move to, I guess, value-based billing um, or even subscription where, you know, traditionally we would have billed by the hour and now it's a lot more of X fee for the month. And then it's just up to us to keep our, you know, costs as low as possible from a margin state, you know, to increase our margins. Is that kind of how you guys do it as well? Is it more? We're like, we're a little bit of like sort of a combination of that where when we structure a contract, uh, a maintenance contract with a client um, that typically runs from April through October. 
So okay. seven months. Uh, and what they'll get from a proposal perspective is a, is a very broken down by service, how much each service is specifically going to cost the total, and then we'll bill them a flat rate for those seven months. We'll break it up. Um, At the same time, we focus on an earned revenue model. So there's often an over-under, which affects more from a cash flow perspective, Um, particularly in landscaping. You know, the good, the prime example is like, we'll probably do 40 to 50% of a contract value within the first two months of a contract, but we have seven months of billing. Mm-hmm. So it's usually about right now, July, maybe trickling into August where the over and the under will start to match that match better going forward. Um, but we just, we just think it, you know, we want to be completely transparent with our customers, about what exactly they're paying for. And mm-hmm. we take a lot of pride in the detail and the, you know, the to the penny sort of pricing that we provide. And then the convenience of monthly billing because frankly, it's more convenient for the customer. It's also more convenient for us. Like, yeah, yep. I don't want to get into an argument with a customer of like, oh, you build us three hours. It should have taken you two. It's like, nope, here's the flat rate. It's on me to be as efficient as possible to deliver yeah. the quality you expect. Mm-hmm. And everybody can try to improve from there. Um, it's, it seems to work fairly well. So your customers aren't really seeing an hourly type thing. They just seen that flat billing that almost, almost never. Yeah, no, that's good. I was just curious. Yeah. Um, who, who would be the visionary in the business? Is that you, would you think, or do you have a couple of people that kind of sit around and not sit around, but meet and say, here's kind of long-term, here's where we want to go. Here's where we're seeing changes. And this is what, where we should need to change type of thing. Um, just curious. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like it's placed at my feet, but it's like a crowdsource sort of, sort of deal. Um, mm-hmm. I, uh, I'd say over time, my ideas for what we can and can't do. Yeah. Sometimes they're probably like a little bit past like what we might be capable of, but I like to, you know, give that to the group and be like, you know, here's what I'm thinking. What do we need to do to get here? Is it possible? Is it not? And then, you know, stretch those answers, particularly the ones that say like, you know, well, that's not, that's not possible. It's like, all right, well, like, what's preventing that? How close can we get? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there, my, my team is a very solid reality check of, you know, expectations and, you know, stretching us, you know, last year we had a really hard time just being stretched very thin. We had a, a, a severe increase in demand. We wanted to try to capture it. And then, you know, some workforce, I would say like destabilization, I guess in the spring, Mm-hmm. We caught up with ourselves in June and, and hired a, a ton of great people and, and got back on track. But, you know, it was a good example of what we, you know, maybe not getting ahead of ourselves too quickly. Um, and I think we learned a lot from that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's from like a grand, you know, vision perspective. It's more, you know, giving everybody the, the support and the guideposts and, and setting the goals And, you know, I don't want them to sort of limit themselves and what they think they can and can't do. And we've definitely run into that of like, there's no way that we're going to ship out three and a half million dollars in proposals for the next snow season in two and a half months. And I'm like, okay, here, I hear you because we, we've never done it, Mm -hmm. but let's focus on how many do we need per month? What's the average contract value? How many proposals is that per person? All right, let's break it down by week. 
And just, and we tell them like, guys, like just follow the system, like do the little things all the time. And then at the end of the season, when we go to look at it, it's November 1st. Like, Hey guys, did we meet our revenue goal? They're like, yup. Like, does everybody remember the conversation we had three months ago? They're like, yes. Like, okay. Right. We can't, this is possible. We can do it. So that's sort of, I guess, if it's vision, like what I try to provide is just like, here's the big, here's the big thing that we're going after. Mm-hmm. How do we break it down into more, I would say, palpable sort of tasks and things that don't overwhelm you and don't overwhelm other members on your team and instill those thoughts of like, we can't do that. That's not possible. And it's like, yeah, maybe it seems like that, but what you need to do today, like, is that possible? Great. Can you do it tomorrow? Can you do it the next day? And they're like, well, yeah, that's possible. I'm like, okay, all you got to do is do it three months in a row. We're good. Yeah. So that, I think that's my, from, I guess, from a vision perspective, like that's what I try to provide. So you, you do kind of look out to, towards the next year and just, and try to come up with a kind of a game plan on how much you want to, you know, bring in as far as revenue and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, right. for sure. And I think the biggest thing we've been focusing on, I guess, in that respect lately has been pricing and just trying to, because our sales cycles are very long, but they're also have very short windows for decision-making. So, you know, if we mess up the pricing in a sales cycle, it's a year until we get to really look at it again. So, you know, one of the things we've been focusing on a lot is, you know, what's pricing going to be like and how do we, you know, when we get answers of like, that's too expensive or like, we can't afford that or what, like, how do we engineer it so that both parties can get what they need Mm -hmm. um, and we can keep our customers, um, you know, prime example is coming into this grounds maintenance season. A lot of folks make their decision between end of February, middle of March. It's like a, a three to four week sprint. Um, you know, we increased rates on average for our renewal customers from 2021 summer to 2022 summer by 37%. Wow. And that's not, you know, that's not a small number, um, mm-hmm. especially on millions of dollars of, of renewal revenue. And initially like, you know, sales and accounts team were like, we're going to lose a lot of customers. I'm like, I don't know that we know that. Like we, and also we have the data from this past year. Like we have to project forward. We can't just expect to do the same thing. Like we need to do better. Like we didn't have the greatest year we could have. So, you know, trying to provide structure around like how that price increase is engineered in the system, how it's communicated to our customers. Um, If, you know, say we only renew 50%, how much capacity does that leave us for next year? What more do we have to find in new sales? Um, so taking the extra time to do that planning, you know, six months before a season starts has been really, really helpful. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, even with those increases, like we still renewed 75% of our book and ended up with more contract revenue this year than last year, but fewer hours to do it, which is in a, in a world where, you know, labor hours are constrained. Like that's exactly what we're going for. So again, like we're looking to do that going into the winter. We've started doing that in April for contracts Mm -hmm. that don't start until November. And now that we're in the cycle, like I feel like we're, we're in decent shape sort of planning wise. Do you have to negotiate way ahead of time for like things like sand and things for the winter? Like are you already I mean, so we're like, from a materials perspective, I am at the mercy of Morton Salt and what they want to charge. Um, Last year was the first year that we had an increase 
in four years. We anticipated something just because of the supply chain issues. More for them, it's shipping costs. You know, most of our salt comes from South America. So the, the barges and the fuel and all that stuff getting up here, we knew it was going to go up. So we just try to peg a number and, and, and offset it, you know, to our customers. Um, there's not really much negotiating to be done with a company of that size. Um, we're probably one of, outside of the state, we're probably the largest purchaser of, of bulk salt in, in the state. Um, but that doesn't, you know, 6,000 tons doesn't really get us too far. Sure. Um, but we'll get that number in September and then that's just the number. Okay. Um, right. just, just the way that it goes. Yeah. And you mentioned staffing and having a staff up last year. And, and I also noticed on your website, you do guarantee, even if you're a landscaper, you got year round employee employment, even in the right. how do you actually do that? Or is hopefully it's helped you even hire people? Yeah, I think, you know, so the guaranteed program was something that we changed. Um, so we've always had 12 month employment. Um, we've tried to structure sort of the, the production side of the business to where, you know, we have enough, we have enough snow work to keep everybody on and then, and vice versa. Um, to be honest, like snow revenue for us is not as difficult to attain just because there's more pavement than grass where we are. Um, so we could grow that a lot more and a lot faster, but I need the staff coming from the summer. So we've really been trying to boost the summer revenue to get more employees to feed into the winter. Um, but you know, we used to obviously like snow is you're at the, the mercy of the weather, like, and if it doesn't snow, then there's not that much to do from a, from a work perspective. Um, at the same time, I just, you know, we have tried multiple different things over the last five years to make sure that our employees are financially covered, um, for the winter time. I think it's, you know, borderline irresponsible to just assume that you can lay off half your workforce, put them on unemployment. And then if it's going to snow, you call them and like, Hey, you're going to show up tomorrow. Like I have a feeling that our, our guys show up from an attendance perspective more than theirs do. And I also, I don't want to, I don't like to worry about what's happening with them when they're not, you know, receiving a paycheck from us. Like that's just, whether that's a personal thing or a business thing, like that, it just doesn't seem fair. Um, so what we've done is in the past, we used to do combinations of, you know, we would loan you any hours up to 40 that you didn't work at 0%. You pay us off with overtime differential in the wintertime. And if there's a balance, you know, you, um, you would have to pay it back to us in the springtime. We went from in the springtime, paying it back with just overtime hours to like a structured 10% of your balance for 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. various different reasons. And then this past winter, you know, I knew we actually made the decision in March of 2021 to offer this. And I think there was like, like seven months of just disbelief that you're going to pay us to potentially stay home. If it doesn't snow, like you're going to, there's no more loaning the hours. Like you just, if we work 40, <laughs> like if, if we work 20 hours, we get paid 40, but if we work 50, we get 40 hours of straight paying 10 hours of overtime pay. Like <laughs> I don't, I had guys in our, in our all hands meeting, stand up and be like, I, I love you to death, man. I don't, I'm not fully believing that this is going on. And I was like, fine, like I'm going to be the un most unpopular person in the world. And none of you are going to work here if I'm lying to you, but this right. is what we're going to do. And, you know, it cost us several points against the margin. I use cost from a finance perspective, what it saved us in 
potentially losing employees or business because we simply didn't have the folks is I don't really want to know what that number would have looked like. Um, snow is very, very hard. It's a difficult thing. Our crews are on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week for about four months, including Christmas, New Year's, holidays, kids' birthdays, all that kinds of stuff. So if the expectation of them is to, to provide that level of availability, the expectation from us should be that they're going to get paid whether they have to work or not, in my opinion. So I'm hoping I've talked to a lot of people about this. You know, I've written articles about it. I'm trying to push this in the industry as hard as I possibly can, because like we're losing people who are interested in doing the work that we do for a number of different reasons. But one of those reasons shouldn't be, I don't know if I'm going to be able to heat my house in the wintertime if it doesn't snow, because right. it's still going to be cold. I still have to buy groceries. And if it doesn't snow, who's paying me? And it's just... It's a, it's a, I would say our customers haven't been paying for that level of reliability and consistency for decades, I guess, at this point. Um, and yeah, it monetarily, like we're adjusting, we experienced what it was last year. And again, with like scaling, like we didn't quite know how much it was going to cost us. Like now mm -hmm. we have a good idea. So yeah. we repriced some things I, to cover it. Contracts need to go up. 2%, 3%, something sure. like that. Like that's not tragic. You know what I mean? And our customers have responded. You know what I mean? Like, I think they understand the value in that. And I want to work with customers who are like, no, like I appreciate the fact that your employees aren't, aren't nervous about whether it's going to snow and they're going to get a paycheck. Like, I think right. just, I just think that's a good way of doing business. And from a retention standpoint, I can't point to any hard numbers. I know that our tenure, our average tenure has increased year over year, like pretty mm -hmm. consistently. And our, uh, you know, our numbers have stayed consistent or increased in the last three years, which I don't think a lot of people can say. Um, but, you know, I think short-term expense for, for potential long-term game and, and employee loyalty is, is well worth it at this point. Oh, no, I, I totally agree. I have a company, a, a client of mine that does asphalt and I don't do what you guys. They only do asphalt and they do plowing in the winter and yep. they basically lay off their crews all winter, the asphalt crews. Um, mm -hmm. And then hopefully they'll hire them back when, when the season kicks in. And I'm, it's, it's always, you know, a challenge for, I don't, they don't all come back that, you know, right. and just knowing that someone has a job and they can commit great I, i'm here this is my job i'm not i'm not gonna have to leave in you know so many months to try to find something else you know for the yeah. winter um, no absolutely i think the customers love it too or they should anyway yeah um, yep. and also it helps i think you could talk to me about even culture it must help just from a culture standpoint like everybody feels like they're working for a company that's taking care of them and isn't going to lay them off um so do, yeah do, i mean i i yeah. i hope that's the impression that gets across <laughs> i yeah. uh you know we've you know I mean, average, we try to do as many things as we possibly can. And, you know, it's culture is a little tough for a company like ours because nobody's ever really all in the same place at the same time. Yeah. So they, you know, crews all show up to their respective branches in the morning and then they all disperse in groups of anywhere between two and maybe five or six people. And then that's who you're with for the day. So I think culture within the specific divisions within the business is incredibly um, important and shows up a little bit more. 
but just from, from my aspect, like I, you know, I think, I think for smaller companies, like there's, you know, you like working for that person or you like working mm-hmm. for that manager or whatever it might be. And I think that's tremendously important, but I also want all of our employees to feel like they're working for, like they like working for the company and the way that it's built and what we do and how we treat people and, you know, just making sure that we're holding up our end of the bargain, which I think is, yeah. is what I try to focus on all the time. You know, we, we, we lease most of our equipment, so it's, it's usually a three-year turnaround. So they're not working in stuff that breaks down. They're not working in junk. Um, you know, we try to, we try to give them enough time to do the right job. We try to sell jobs that they're capable of doing without stressing and running around. And that's not saying that they're not efficient, but I don't want them to cut corners. I don't want them to be unsafe. Um, so I think it's a lot of the little things that have, that have helped, you know, every morning there's a safety check, which is, you know, checking to make sure the trailer and their, and their loads are secure and everything. But every employee who leaves one of our branches is also offered like, you know, a bottle of water and a snack to get them started for the day and a, a hello and a, how you doing from a, one of our operations managers. And, you know, it's not a significant thing, you know what I mean? It's not a big P and L item, but it's just, I hope that it comes across of like, you know, we just care about your general well being and that like you're prepared to do the job we're asking you to do and you have all the tools and everything to do it. Um, and that's just kind of, that's kind of our mentality. I would say, you know, something from a, you know, company culture or, um, you know, keywords that we try to focus on are being professional, reliable, and safe. And I, you know, we're not about, we're not about price. Um, I think quality is something that everybody wants to, to push and say that they have the highest quality. And I'll be completely honest with you. Like a lot of people mow lawns the exact way other people mow lawns. <laughs> it's more about whether you show up and you do the job that you were asked to do. Um, and, and just the professionalism of it. You know what I mean? Like everybody's uniformed, has their safety equipment, the trucks are all the equipment's up to stuff, you know, good communication, stuff like that. And then, and then safety you know, work yeah. within your means, don't stretch yourself too far. Um, you know, put the required PPP on, have all your road signs, all that kind of stuff. And like, that's the stuff I want our employees to focus on. That's what I want our accounts and sales to sell on. And then that's what I want our customers to expect. Um, and it's, it's all tied into just the culture of what we're, what we're trying to yeah. do in general. I mean, I think there's a lot of contractors that get a bad rap because they're, a lot of them don't, they don't show up. They don't call back. I mean, there's a lot of problems people trying to hire, you know, specifically in your industry, but just in general, and, you know, maybe it's a, it's a workforce issue. Maybe people are overstretched. Um, but there's a lot of solopreneur contractors who don't get back to you and that sort right. of thing. I think like you just mentioned, it's not all about, it's not about price. It's customer service. It's being on time. It's having the right equipment. It's, yep. you know, probably over, you know, um, you know, over delivering essentially like and customers feel good about what they're getting for their price. So yeah, no, absolutely. And, and we're probably our own worst, our own worst critics when it comes to, you know, the quality of the work and how quickly we did it and how well the processes are are going. And I often have to like talk to sales and operations and, and accounts and everybody and be like, guys, like the customer said they were happy. Like, you are more than you are more than welcome to continue to push to improve every like get better every day. Right. But don't like 
don't be negative about it. Like, don't hurt yourself over it. Like we're doing, we're doing a good job and, yeah. and, you know, getting them to sit back and realize, you know, I'll have operations managers who, you know, five or six years ago were again, like in the field or, or out of work or something like that. And I'll, you know, pull them aside and be like, you realize that this task is hard. Like you're managing 30 people and three and a half million dollars worth of work. Like don't sell yourself short on what you're doing. I appreciate the passion and how hard you're working, but don't like lose sight of, of the good stuff that's going on. And uh, yeah, I, I think it's, again, it's, it's in our own worst critic thing, which is a, is a powerful motivator, but I try not to let it get in the way. Sure. And what opportunities do you see just in the future in your own, in the business? Uh, do you see, do you see branching in it something different or just kind of just the natural organic you know, growth and acquisitions? Yeah, we're, to be honest, like we're, we're scaling, I would say we're scaling services, paring them down a little bit. Okay. Um, you know, we always used to try to carry, for instance, like, you know, a couple of arborists who could climb and then it's not really our bread and butter. You know what I mean? It's not mm-hmm. what we're equipped to do. And, you know, but we have all these subcontractors, like, let's just, you know, have those guys shift their efforts somewhere else and, and have oh. somebody have the experts come in and we'll, we'll manage the communication and the customer service and the expectations, all this other kind of stuff. You guys go in and do the work. We pay you, we get paid, everybody makes out. And, um, you know, doing, so we're, we're starting to consider more of that. So we can really focus on the stuff that drives gross profit for us. Um, there's going to be infinite chances to grow. And, and for us right now, the focus is on, you know, growing with customers who appreciate the value that we provide. And yes, that is from particular, we are not the lowest price. That's why we don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's more like, do they recognize the extra stuff that we do that makes us different, that makes their job easier? And can we align with those customers? Um, oftentimes for us, like that's big, large campuses because they know, you know, say a Fortune 500 company is having a visit from the governor and they want all this stuff done. They know that we could potentially flex up in 48 hours with 20 or 30 people and get it all done for them. They're not going to get that from a five, six person company. Sure. So we're trying to leverage into larger campuses where we can be more efficient. We don't have to drive as much, which whenever a crew has to go to 15 locations in a day to do their mow route, that is not mm-hmm. nearly as efficient from a time perspective as two locations, um, particularly in the snow season. Um and, and that's kind of, you know, it's manifested in, in increasing prices and reducing customer count. Um, not so much to, to the point where we feel like all of our eggs in, are in one basket, but trying to drive towards those larger, larger relationships where, you know, we align better with them from a customer standpoint and we can be more efficient, don't have to run around to all these different places. Um, from an opportunity perspective, people are stopping doing maintenance. They don't, they don't want the hassle. I can't tell you how many times I hear like, well, we don't want to deal with condo associations. And I'm like, they, they pay their bills, man. Like I don't, I, <laughs> and they, and they like the service, you know, if you can build a good rapport and just deliver and, and don't oversell them on what you can do and what you can't do, like be straightforward and honest and just have a good, build a good working relationship. And those can be fruitful, loyal relationships for years. And I mean, to that, to that effect, like a 75% renewal rate on 37% increases, like that's because of relationships. I, I love our guys to death 
and we do good work, like what they ask us to do, but it's not because we mow the lawn necessarily a hundred times better than the next guy. It's because we treat them better and they feel like they're getting the appropriate attention that, that is needed. So right now I feel like there's, and I've said this the last year or so, you know, at least where we are, there's this big push towards folks are, I don't want to do maintenance stuff. Like I just want to build, build pretty walls and patios, or I want to dig foundations and build homes and condos and excavation and all this other kind of stuff. And I'm like, go like get, just get out of our way. That sounds great. I'd like to mow every lawn and mulch every bed from a commercial aspect that we can possibly get our hands on. If folks are willing to pay the rates that, that we charge and it's just, it's very consistent. It's easy from an operation standpoint to train everybody to do things the same way. We have a lot of, you know, um, consistency with the, with the service we provide and, um, it's always going to be needed. You know, every, you're always going to need the grass to be cut and the snow is always going to need to be moved. So we're just going to continue leveraging in those directions. And if the laws of supply and demand say that my prices are going to go way up, but my customer account's going to go way down, that's kind of where we're at until everybody gets on board. And, uh, I don't have a problem with that. And from an acquisition standpoint, there's going to be more and more. We've been petitioned, you know, several times in the last couple of years to buy companies. We bought a couple when mm-hmm. we felt like the fit was right or the opportunity was from a financial standpoint was good or the geography was solid. Um, Cause people just don't want to deal with it anymore. I'm like, great. I'll take it all off your hands. Like great. We'll, we'll do it. No problem. Uh, you know, and it's, it's tough. I don't know what's going to happen with the economy. I don't profess to understand all of it, but you know, the interest rates are going to be tough on people getting equipment loans and, and setting up businesses and finding capital. And, you know, I think it sets up for a company like us, that's just, you know, pretty stable and and capable of, of flexing up and doing the work. And, you know, I think we treat our employees pretty well. So I, I'm optimistic that we can continue to grow as much as we do or don't want to. I just, after going through what we learned last year, I want to make sure that it's, that it's, you know, planned for and understood about what's going to happen going forward so that we can prepare um, and, and deliver from day one, you know, if we grow by another 20% next year um, and just, and just go from there. Yeah. I know we, we were just, we're a smaller company, but we go through the same, things is, you know, we took on many different clients, did a bunch of services, whether outsourced accounting, advisory, ERP sales, QuickBooks okay. sales. And, but then, you know, over the last couple of years, we've been, okay, let's fine tune this. And let's, we came up with an ideal client list. So when they come to us, like, Hey, do they fit our criteria? Um, are they going to block every time we invoice them? Are they going to allow us to invoice them on ACH versus, you know, sending out an invoice and waiting for payment. Like sure. if they don't check some of those boxes or they're, then they're pr- pretty much not an ideal client for us. So we become more selective and, you know, a lot more strategic. It kind yep. of sounds like what you guys are doing. Cause like the arborist role, cause you do, I saw that you do that, take down trees and things like that. Yep. And if that's a tiny percentage, is it really worth being in it? You know? And Correct. so I can, I can understand where you're going now. Um, so just kind of like wrapping up a little bit, uh, just, uh, just quickly, just tell me about yourself. I mean, we talked about, you know, the business and what you're going through, just what, what's your background? You said you're from Maine and you're. Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah. So or, originally from Southern Maine, um, I, uh, I, I like to, you know, I think they call us boomerangs where we leave <laughs> for a little while and come back. Um, I left, I went to college in Virginia and, um, I was in the Peace Corps directly after that. So then I was overseas for two and a half years. And then I ran a, or ended up running a, a uh, commercial cut flower production farm in central Virginia. Um, I met my wife there and then we ended up moving back to Maine in, um, I think it was fall, like very early in 2016. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, I started out, I worked at Lowe's for like three or four months when you need okay. a job. And then, uh, you know, cause initially coming out of the Peace Corps before I ended up at that farm, um, I remember I applied to, which just speaks to how different it is now. I applied to 40, I think it was 43 different positions, all just hourly wage jobs wow. from like dishwashing to bank telling to whatever it was. And I, I couldn't get a job. Wow. Um, so yeah, I ended up going to this farm on an internship at, at $30 a day, which I worked there for a year at that rate. And then I don't know, like 11 bucks an hour or something like that after that, sure. <laughs> uh, but gained some experience and, you know, move back. And I say Lowe's bought my wife and I, our first house, you know, proof of income type of deal. And then, uh, worked for a small landscaping company in my hometown, just didn't have enough work. Wasn't, didn't, didn't have a path at the time. And then ended up with Seabreeze and, you know, worked my way through the ranks from a, from a management perspective and just, you know, have tried to, the motto has always been to help as much as I possibly can and, and support everybody. But yeah, now I've got two, two small children. My daughter's going to be three in August and my son is five months old. So ah, congratulations! Uh, yeah, <laughs> thanks. And uh, yeah, so that, that comes with its own set of challenges and, and, and managing that at home. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a good, it's been a good ride. You know, our investment company has been incredibly supportive and given me just tremendous opportunity and, and in turn, like provided tremendous opportunity for all the folks at our company. Um, and I, you know, I'm just, um, yeah, I, I kind of in disbelief at times that this is how it ended up, but, you know, super excited to keep going. Sounds awesome. And, and you got a ways to go. You're a young guy um, and yep. the company is yep. growing. So you know, I, I know we're running out of time. I was, I was going to ask you where you get some of your own knowledge of, you know, as, you, as, as a leader, but we could save that for another, another uh, podcast down the road. Yeah, sure. Sure. Love, love to expound on it whenever. Yeah. So real quick, people can find you on LinkedIn. Um, yep. Just Josh Flynn. Yep. And your website is seabreezepropertyservices.com, right? Yep. Okay, yep. cool. And I, I saw there's an Instagram, same thing, Seabreeze. Yep. Portland, yep. Maine, I think, is yeah, I can't, I can't say that our Instagram or our Facebook are as updated as I would like to be all yeah, the time. Most people LinkedIn and the website are great. You know, if cool. you call the office, you'll get Kristen and she'll ask you a ton of questions. And then, you know, we'll <laughs> I have a Kristen in my office too. It's funny. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's fantastic, but yeah, awesome. happy to, happy to help anybody anywhere as much as I can. Awesome. Well, I enjoyed our conversation. I learned a ton. It's, you got a lot going on. It's kind of cool that you, you know, you got into this in 16 or so, or, um, and you've kind of like taken off. So, um, I want to thank you. I want to thank people who are listening or watching. If you like it, I encourage you to share it. Um, like it, please and tell somebody about it and thank you. Thank you, Josh. And this has been another episode of leaders who scale. And that wraps up another episode. 
Thank you for joining. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at leaderswhoscale.com. Leaders Who Scale is sponsored by Siegel Solutions, providing world-class services and cutting-edge tools that help businesses grow and succeed.